Today, we are going to be continuing on our series called Come Holy Spirit. And um, this series is one, I said this last week, but I want to just repeat it. It was birthed out of a time of prayer with uh, some leadership couples. And we just sensed a couple of scriptures, and one of them was this one where Jesus is talking to his disciples before he's about to ascend to the Father. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so what we've been doing as a community over the last uh, three or four months, we've been making effort to be witnesses to our neighbors and to our, our co-workers about who Jesus is. We're, we're trying to be con- like considerate and thoughtful and intentional about doing that. And I just felt like in that time of prayer, like the, the Holy Spirit kind of gently remind, like, hey, let's not get the cart before the horse. Let's remember, like, the way this works is dependence. It's not all on you to go and save your workplace or your street or your neighborhood. It's easy to want to just get off to the races, but I felt, and we we felt, like, in God's kindness, he just kind of slowed us down. And, like, hey, let's get the order right here. Let's let's receive the power of the Spirit so that you can be my witnesses. It's not that you go be my witnesses and then maybe the Spirit will come and catch up to you. And so last week, we spent some time reflecting on the promise of the living water of the Spirit. Anyone else drank water last week more than normal? I tried. I think I drank four Nalgene's over the, over the week. So my daily requirement over seven days said something. Um, the truth is that we all have a drought in our souls that we are looking to quench, but so often the ways we go about quenching our thirst will leave us wanting. So Jesus invites anyone who is thirsty to come and drink from him, the living well, and that the Spirit will actually be the thing that's going to quench our thirst, and will not only quench our thirst, but will spill out from our bellies into all the creation around us. Right? It's good news. All the way down to the Dead Sea, it says, to the most dead and and desolate part of your life, or your friend's life, or your neighborhood, or wherever you think of, God's Spirit can reach that area. And so today, we're going to be looking at a theology of the Holy Spirit, and so, d- disclaimer off the top, this may feel a little bit more like a lecture to preach, but even in the midst of that, I, there's going to be lots of lists in Scripture, but my hope is that we get to know the Holy Spirit more today than we have in the past, because all of these things are to point us towards the person of the Spirit. Okay, so, if I were to ask each of you to tell me about the Holy Spirit, there would be a variety of answers and ideas communicated. Um, some correct some wrong, and maybe some completely heretical. Um, Because sadly, the Holy Spirit is in some ways, to borrow Francis Chan's phrase, the forgotten God. We don't really know what to make of of the Holy Spirit. Often misunderstood and underappreciated, the Holy Spirit is waiting to be um, uncovered and discovered and gotten to know. In the 4th century councils of Nicaea, where they came up with the Nicene Creed, there are initial formulary stages of writing this creed. The best they could come up with the Holy Spirit was this. Uh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's kind of all they could come up with. And then eventually they added some other things. But they struggled to kind of understand and unpack what they called the orphan doctrine of theology. So if we're honest, the way we think of the Holy Spirit is kind of like that one weird cousin. That shows up every once in a while for family things. You know that cousin, right? Yeah. If you don't know that cousin, you are that cousin. I'm so sorry to tell you that. Yeah. Um, but don't, say, don't think it that way. You know that cousin you just, like, you want to avoid? You don't really want to sit next to him or her at the Christmas dinner. 
you thank your lucky stars that you only have to see her um, when she's in town for Christmas or Thanksgiving or your great-grandmother's birthday. You know what I'm talking about. So for some of us, we have no real idea or mental maps around the person of the Holy Spirit. We're like, I have no idea. Maybe you didn't grow up in church at all. And you're, and so the Holy Spirit is just one of those many weird things that religious people talk about, you know, on movies or stuff like that. And for others of us who grew up in a church, uh, we may have grown up with this idea that the Holy Spirit is largely just there to help us understand this thing. And so uh, kind of a trope of that, that ideology or theology would be, we, we have a Trinitarian, Trinitarian theology of Father, Son, and Holy Bible. The gifts aren't for today. And what really counts is reading the Bible. Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. So there's a high emphasis on Scripture and a low emphasis, if any, on a living and experiential relationship with the Holy Spirit. So that's one ditch. The other ditch, equally dangerous, is uh, those of us who grew up in a church where it's like we're basically swinging from the chandeliers. It's like the crazier, the better. The weirder, the better. Maybe there were shofars involved, you know, all kinds of weird, like, uh, um, charismatic things. It was all about the manifestation of the Spirit, the feels. How did you feel? Did you get chills or shivers? Or to use a classism, were you just there to stand underneath the spout where the blessings came out? So there's a high emphasis on the experience of the Holy Spirit and a low emphasis on being rooted and grounded in the story of Scripture. So those are kind of the two ditches. And to be clear, we believe in the, the authority of Scripture. We love the Bible. We long to be formed and shaped by the words contained within it. But we also believe in the tangible and experienced presence of God. And so these things need not be at odds with one another. And so that's where we're, we're kind of setting our course for that, that radical middle. And we're contending to kind of live there. We want to be biblically informed about who the Spirit is and how the Spirit interacts with us in our everyday existence. As well as, what does the Scripture say about it? How do we have both of these things as we move forward in our understanding of the Holy Spirit? So who's with me? Cool. So I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. I'm going to read our, our text for today. And then we're going to talk through it's from John 14. Actually, Isaiah's not on there. I, I switched it up this morning. So John 14, verse 15. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. This is God's word. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, we're here this morning to meet with you, to commune with you, to understand you, to engage with you. And Jesus, we thank you that you made this possible, that you closed the gap, you came and found us in our darkness and in our delusion, and you didn't leave us there. You brought us back with you. And so you not only did that, but you sent the Holy Spirit to come and indwell us. And so we invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and lead and guide this time. Would you reveal yourself to us as we look through the story of Scripture, as we think through you, God, as a whole, Father, Son, and Spirit? Would you give my mouth and my brain uh, the capacity to explain the mysterious, beautiful reality of who you are? Lord, I pray for open hearts and open ears. I pray, Lord, a a stance and a, a posture of humility that our own ideas about you, God, often need tweaking. And so would we... Be humble enough to say, Lord, teach us about yourself. We don't really know, but we need your help. And so, Lord, we lay down our own ideas of who you are and the way the world works and who we are at your feet this morning, and we ask you to have your way, God. So we pray, Father, have your way. Jesus, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. Amen. 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 You guys can have a seat. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You guys are probably sick of me saying this, but I say this because this means that our ideas about God are the most important thing about us. Your ideas about God are the most important thing about you. So I think I want you to just think about that for a second. How much energy are you putting into the most important thing about you? I'm not saying this to condemn you or to be like, you know, I, it's all I think about, guys. I don't know about you. It, it's actually meant to nudge you towards this incredible invitation to know the unknowable God, the unsearchable God. Or as the Apostle Paul says, to be filled with the fullness of God. Or as Jesus explains eternal life, he says this, that you know God and Jesus Christ, the one he sent. So what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I'm saying this is because, the reason I'm saying this is because Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So I want us to think about our ideas and talk about our ideas for a second. So uh, one philosopher says this, our ideas are our assumptions about reality. Ideas are assumptions about reality. They are the theories about how, that we hold within our bodies and brains and minds about how life actually works. And so you and I, as uh, human beings, we're able to hold a a multitude of ideas together at the same time. Sometimes contradictory ideas, but they're all kind of swirling around in our brains and in our bodies and in our minds. And some of our ideas correspond with reality, and some do not. And I may have it in my mind that I could go onto the ice in the middle of an NHL game and score a goal, but the reality would say, no, it's not going to happen. Tom, you can't even skate. So some of our ideas correspond with reality and others do not. Some of them correspond with the kingdom of God and others do not. For those of us who are following Jesus, we're trying to do our best to bring all of our ideas into an alignment with the kingdom of God. 
where what God wants done is done, where what God thinks about things is all of a sudden what we think about things. And this requires a, a, a deep transformation within each of us. And so as human beings, every human being you're going to run into, you this morning, your neighbor, your friend, your parents, your siblings, we have a collection of ideas that we hold that link up and form a mental map that leads us through our life in, in time and space, right here and right now. They shape how we experience life, relationships, how we experience grief and loss and retirement and sexuality and rest and all of it. Our ideas matter. You ever had a bad idea? Or at least know someone who did? Maybe you never did. But I know a few people. Of course you have. And, and this is important to realize. And as we're thinking about ideas, we're thinking about like the way that we think about God specifically. Dallas Willard says this, he says, we truly live at the mercy of our ideas. We truly live at the mercy of our ideas. So we as disciples of Jesus, we want to have our mental maps formed and, and line up with the truth of who God is, who we are, and, and moreover, what, not moreover, but also what the good life is. What, what are we here for? What are, what are we supposed to be doing with our existence? So our ideas, our mental maps about God are, in, are invaluable to live a good life. So today, we're going to go down like to the bedrock, to the foundations of reality itself. We're going to look at the Trinity, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I'm kind of asked, this is a leading question, but what is at the very center of reality? I was already up there. Oh, thanks. What is at the center of all reality? Yeah, we're good to talk. Talk back. What's at the very center of reality? We're cheating? But what is that? Okay, even if you saw it. Okay, but what up more? Okay, keep going. Okay, okay. Okay, which is... Yes. What is at the very center of reality is a relationship. So this is the most fundamental truth. At the center of the universe is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, so I've, I've illustrated this with these three chairs. Okay, so uh, we can have a picture of God that would say the Trinity is kind of this board of spiritual beings that are kind of up there just judging everything we're doing. They don't really like each other. They don't really know what's going on. Or we could have a view, and um, John's gospel begins with this phrase, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word with that he uses is this preposition that's uh, the Greek word pros, which actually means turns turn towards or face-to-face. -face. So in the beginning of everything was a face-to-face -face relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so just get that mental picture in your mind. And I know it's hard to wrap our heads around because how does this work? What is the Trinity? Frank and I were just talking about it. Is it like an egg? Is it a shamrock? No, it's way more complex than that. It's way more mysterious than that. But just a few things, like few kind of guidelines here. The Trinity is, is, is how, we, how the Christian worldview would present God. There is one God and there's only one. This God not only exists, but exists eternally in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons are equally divine in essence and attributes. So the trick for us to not get into heresy is to hold all of these three ideas simultaneously. 
That's like the three-legged stool. How do we? How do I? How do I keep all of these things going in my head simultaneously? So the the real reason I'm trying to get your your brains around this. Okay, the beginning, the very bedrock of all reality is this relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This community of love, where uh, Saint Augustine in the fourth century put it this way: God is at once love, beloved, and love itself. Which means that God is the one that loves the one that is loved, and the love itself. So if we think about, okay, maybe we have this view of God. I grew up with a, a picture of God that was kind of like this mono-God that was kind of just up there judging everything I did, kind of needed me for his own kind of like purposes, and was selfish and self-centered and narcissistic and kind of insecure, and I had to sing to him on Sunday mornings, and if I didn't sing loud enough, he was really disappointed. That's, that's a wrong view of God. And so we have to kind of come to grips with where, where do we, and maybe we land somewhere in between, but the invitation is like, how do I begin to see God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit? And if that's true, if God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what is the nature of that relationship? Because you can have a relationship that's bad. You ever been in a bad relationship? But this is like the most beautiful, perfect relationship that ever could exist or ever has existed. So within the nature of that relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is from Daryl Johnson's book, Experiencing the Trinity. He's, he gives seven kind of markers for what this relationship entails or, or holds within it. The first thing is intimacy. The second thing is joy. The third thing is servanthood. The fourth thing is purity. The fifth thing is power. The sixth thing is creativity. And the last thing he mentions is peace. It sounds like a pretty good relationship. If I were to say, hey, Man, if, if, if your marriage or if your friendships could have all those things within it, I think all of us would sign off on that pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, I, I could go for a little bit of discourse, you know, a little bit of animosity, self-centeredness, divisiveness, you know. And so this, this relationship, other theologians have, have, have described it as like this divine dance, this mutual indwelling of one another, where there's oneness without losing or being absorbed or being absorbed by the other person, which is also something that we long for in relationship. You don't want to be absorbed by your partner. You don't want to be absorbed by your coworker. You want to be able to exist fully as you are and also honor and see them for who they are and work together in union, union and communion. Okay, so I know that's a lot, but the point I'm trying to make is this. It is out of this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you and I were created. And so this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our God, the Trinity, is a, is a, is his deepest, their deepest desire is communion and fellowship with the human race. Which last time I checked means you, and 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 even me, and your neighbors, and your enemies, enemies, and your best friends, and your favorite band, and your favorite athletes. So it is out, it is out of this relationship and for this relationship that we were created. This is the core idea of our existence. Yesterday, uh, Theo, my son, was asking for breakfast, for lunch, and I said, I was, like, I was like, Theo, you need to eat lunch. And he was like, why? I said, well, because you need to have energy so that you can live a life. Well, why? And I was like, I was thinking about my sermon. I was like, well, because, son, you're actually created for a relationship. Why? He's like on the floor just laying there. Why? Well, because you're made in the image of a relational God. Why? Well, because that God is good. Well, why? And it went on and on and on. And the moral of the story is that he didn't eat his lunch. But the, 
the point is the point is that when we really start to think about everything we're created for is bound up in this reality for relationship for communion and union with god and with one another so that's what makes the story of scripture so devastating when we rebel against this god and we say you know what i think i'm gonna go it on my own so we remove ourselves from this relationship and kind of decide, I'm going to go it on my own. I'm going to sit down in this chair of authority. I'm going to decide what's right. I'm going to decide what's wrong. And I got this. And so rebellion against God, sin is a violation of this relationship. Sin is essentially saying, hey, I don't trust what you want for me. I don't trust that you actually love me. I think I have my own ability to kind of define what I need and want and what the good life looks like. So sin isolates us. And it leaves us feeling like we have to face life on our own. And the biblical story, which we talk about often, is the story of heaven on earth being ripped apart into heaven and earth, and God, the Trinity's glorious mission to reunite these two realms once again. So they're aware of our rebellion. They're aware of our sin. They're aware of the nature that we've inherited, and that, that actually pulls us away from what we, were, what we were designed for. We were designed for union and communion, Sin rips us apart into isolation. So we would affirm, so we're thinking about the Holy Spirit. We would affirm that the historic church was right, that the Holy Spirit is God. And what that, why, what I'm, why I'm saying that is one of the kind of misconceptions we can have about the Holy Spirit is it, it's like some type of like Jedi force thing. That he is, you know, like... He can kind of be wielded like a weird lightsaber and he can like knock you on the ground or whatever it might look like. Um, but that the Holy Spirit is actually fully alive and fully well today, but he's actually a person that we can develop relationship with. He is the third person of the Trinity. So the, the big point here is that the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. And so we are invited to cultivate a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. We are not invited into some type of apprenticeship where we learn to yield a force. So this is true. I'd like to know what kind of person the Holy Spirit is. Like, what kind of relationship are we getting into? What is he into? What does he do? Like, any relationship, you know, like, what do they like? What do they, what do they like to eat? I don't know. Um, so who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. And let me just talk through a couple bullet points here. The Holy Spirit is not a created spirit. He is eternally unique. He is the eternal spirit of God. The third member of the Trinity the Nicene Creed says the Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, which means this. He comes from outside of creation and commands respect and awe. He is remarkably free to be present and active within creation, yet is never domesticated, manipulated, or controlled. He is in the midst of the Father and the Son, in this picture here. He is, some theologians would describe him as the bond of love between them. And for us, as we think about life with God here on this earth, right here, right now, he is always the God we experience, the God who encounters us. So if you've had these moments where you're in worship or you're in prayer or just in your normal life where all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with the presence of God, that's the Holy Spirit. So it is the Spirit who stoops and stays and speaks and brings salvation to us. This is who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is divine. Um, the Holy Spirit has a personality. We see in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit can be lied to, resisted, tested, grieved, insulted, quenched, blasphemed. The Holy Spirit can comfort and hear and speak and touch and determine the church's course of direction. 
We see that in the New Testament. Help and pray for the church in her weakness. What I want you to notice is that these are all relational things. Again, just to underline the idea that the Holy Spirit is not a force to be wielded, but a person with whom we cultivate relationship. So what is the Holy Spirit into? The Holy Spirit is all about life. All about life. The Holy Spirit's passion is fellowship or communion. What he loves to do is he loves to connect people, which is what Carrie's story illustrated so well. There's, there's, some, there's some animosity. There's some disconnection between these two girls. And there's some, I don't know what's going on there, bitterness maybe, anger. And they go and pray. And what, what does the Holy Spirit kind of lead the person to do is to apologize so, so, so as to reconnect people. So that's what's going on there. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of encounter, of fellowship, of intimacy, and sharing. What he's into is drawing people into the very center of the universe. He's saying, enough of this. Come over here. Enough of this. That's what the Holy Spirit is into. So the Holy Spirit throughout the biblical narrative. So let's look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Then we'll look at the Holy Spirit in the person of Jesus. And then in the New Testament. And then we'll think through What does this mean for us today? Why did Tom have three chairs out on one side and one chair on the other side? So in the Bible, the story of the Bible, the Spirit makes his first appearance where? Any guesses? Genesis Genesis 1, 1 and 2. He's there right at the very beginning. The Spirit makes his first appearance at creation itself and is involved with God and the Word of God in the creating and forming of all life. Again, the Nicene Creed. uh, The Holy Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life. Job says this, or the book of Job says this, the book of Job. Um, the Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Uh, so while giving life to all creation, the Spirit of the Lord appears personally as the story goes on within Israel's history, but only rarely. And so the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is encountering people kind of here and there. And so theologians would call this the age of visitation. So the Holy Spirit visits a few, and as he does so, he uh, gives power to Samson. He gives wisdom and discernment to people like Joseph and Deborah. He gives creative and artistic gifts to Bezalel. Anyone remember that guy? Made some stuff for the, uh, the temple and stuff, uh, the tabernacle. He inspires the prophets with the word of the Lord. Think Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, etc. He, he is there present anointing kings. Gideon. But all the while what we see that the Spirit's real desire and emphasis and concern is with the people of God knowing and walking with God. That's the, that's the Spirit's real desire. Out of this, back into that. So the assumption in Genesis and in the Bible as a whole is that the Creator wants to be in relationship with humanity. And, with, and that within this relationship... The Lord is determined to bless his creation with fullness and life. The invitation into this life is not a boring one. It's actually an exciting and fulfilling one. We read this. I will be your God and you will be my people. Over and over again. I will be your God and I will see to it that you come to know me and live in my fellowship. So the Old Testament, we see him coming on a few. The age of visitation where the Spirit would come upon a few specific certain groups of people, prophets, priests, and kings for a specific purpose for a specific amount of time. But all the while, the prophets are promising a day where the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh and the Spirit would be put within us. So the Old Testament ends with Israel waiting for this anointed one 
on whom the Spirit would remain. And you guys know where this is going, right? Jesus, okay. You guys okay? All right. All right, so Jesus was. We see this, this whole story is pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the anointed one, and just a few references here. Jesus was conceived by the Spirit. Jesus was baptized in the Spirit. Jesus was led and empowered by the Spirit. Jesus was given great joy by the Spirit. Jesus cast out demons by the Spirit. Jesus heard his Father in the Spirit, and Jesus offered himself to his Father by the power of the Spirit. So Jesus' relationship, Jesus' life here on earth, all of this was bound up in his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus is born at the end of this really awkward, like 400-year-long awkward silence between God and the people of Israel. And we see the presence of the Spirit at the birth of Jesus. Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. We see the presence of, of the Spirit at the baptism of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, when the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. And what does he do? He remains on him. So the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would visit. In Jesus, the Holy Spirit remains. So we see the Spirit empower Jesus in his kingdom ministry. In Luke 4, as he returned from the wilderness, it says, full of the Holy Spirit. Um, we also see the work of the Spirit at the resurrection, again, bringing about life where there was death. Jesus was resurrected by the Spirit. Jesus bridges the gap between the age of visitation and the age of habitation. Jesus' resurrection life of the Spirit was passed on to his followers, which is what we read this morning as he's talking about, when I go, I'm going to send the advocate. And Luke 24 puts it this way, And look, I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So in Jesus, we see someone who fully engaged with the Spirit of God, who lived out of a Trinitarian reality. We see the intimacy, we see the joy, the servanthood, the purity, the power, the creativity, the peace, all lived out from there on earth as it is in heaven. He displayed his eternal relationship with the Father and the power of the Spirit in real time and in real space. He remained in him, and we saw that he and his father were one. They were united. They were in communion and fellowship and were working towards the same end, which is this. The human race brought back into the loving embrace that he has always shared with his father in the power of the Spirit. He made his home here, and this is the relationship that you and I are invited into, which brings us to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament or the age of habitation. Uh, the story of Pentecost, famous story. Anyone ever heard of it? Uh, when the Pentecost had arrived, that was a joke. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the progression. No longer does the Spirit just live and visit a few select people. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he ushered us into the age of habitation, where we share in his life, the very life of the Trinity. The Spirit now lives inside of us. The Spirit brings the divine resurrection life of Jesus into his followers. God gives gifts of the Spirit to equip the saints for ministry. The Spirit brings about the new creation of Jesus, into Jesus' followers, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. So in the New Testament, we see the Spirit has a mind of his own, uh, will in his own ministry. He speaks, informs, leads, guides, and instructs, evaluates, appoints leaders, makes decisions, and gives gifts. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. He inspires witness to Jesus. 
convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, makes known the mystery of Christ. Listen to this one. Cries, Abba, Father, in our hearts and bears fruit in every human life. Strengthens, helps our weakness, comforts, brings liberty and freedom, gives fellowship, fills with joy, and produces life and peace. That's a lot. Let me just make a summary statement. From beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, we see the Holy Spirit working to bring about the eternal desire of the Trinity. Fellowship and communion with the human race. Not as a need, this isn't a mono-God that's insecure or lonely or bored, but as love's very expression for real relationship with us, his mere creatures. Does that resonate with you guys? They're like, holy mackerel, does that something go off inside you that's like, I could use some of that. I could use some of that communion and fellowship. And I just want to say thank you, guys. I know that's a lot of information, so thank you for listening, and um, well done for you, those of you who are still awake. Um, but I'd like to close with a little bit of just reflection about what we've been talking about here. And again, this is we're, we're going to spend weeks on this, but I just wanted to kind of get our, thing, our, our brains around what is, what is our idea about God? What are our ideas about the Holy Spirit? And um, to close, to kind of land this, like I want you to hear that again. God's desire from before the foundation of the world was for communion and union with you. Sin rips that apart. We kind of go our own way, but the Spirit is there to kind of continually pull us back into that relationship. That's what He wants, and that's what we want, I think, whether we know it or not. So I'd like to ask you guys a few questions. And just sit with these, and you don't have to say yes or no out loud. But I think these are kind of human things that we all experience to some measure. Do you ever feel lonely? Do you ever feel unknown? Do you ever feel sorrow? Are you tired of being selfish? Do you find yourself exhausted trying to project like this idealized version of yourself? Of wearing some type of mask, of living out this false self, of hiding? Are you ever overwhelmed by destructive habits that you just can't seem to break? Or these behaviors that just seem to come out of nowhere? Do you ever feel stuck or uninspired or just flat? Maybe you're plagued by anxiety and worry and fear. If so, I've got some good news for you. The God who is love, lover, beloved, and love itself, what he does is he, what he's doing even this morning is drawing near, near to the real you, to the broken, to the sinful, to the fearful, to the selfish, to the lonely, to the exhausted, to the stuck, to the anxious you. He's coming over here and finding you. And what he's doing is he's inviting you back into the dance, back into the relationship that is the core of our very reality, so that you can be swept up in the intimacy, in the joy, in the servanthood, in the purity, in the power, in the creativity, and the peace therein. 
This is what the story of Scripture reveals. The God who does something about the alienation and separation our rebellion unleashed in this world. His love overcomes the deepest, darkest depths of our sin. The ideas and ideologies that lead us further and further away from our design for union and communion with God and with one another. This is the alienation and delusion that God in Jesus comes to clarify and reclaim. That God is actually good. That God really does love us no matter what and no matter what and that he wants us close. He wants you close. The Holy Spirit is committed to this end. He longs for you to experience and know the real Jesus. To experience real life in Jesus, which as one author says, is to come to know that Jesus' Father loves you forever, no matter what. To come to know that Jesus' Father loves you forever, no matter what, that is what Adam lost, that is what Jesus in the Spirit knows, and that is what Jesus through the Spirit is now teaching the human race. The Father loves you forever, no matter what. You're invited into the middle of of it all. So if you're here this morning and you find yourself sitting over here in this chair and you're feeling all those things I mentioned, you're feeling isolated, anxious, and alone, and overwhelmed, you're feeling shame, I trust the Holy Spirit's doing something in you that's actually wooing you and drawing you over here to come sit here because the new testament makes it pretty clear that there's this mystery of union with christ that we're brought into him that we're seated with him in heavenly places which means that if we're thinking about this picture this is the father this is the spirit this is jesus i'm now seated where jesus is seated so i can see the father the way that jesus sees the father i'm seen by the father the way that jesus is seen and the holy spirit is just yes do you see it do you feel it? He's, he's communicating that reality. Does that make sense? So that is what we're invited into. That's the person of the Holy Spirit's deepest desire, joy, purpose, mission, is to draw us from a place of isolation into a place of communion and union with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So I'm just going to pray for us, and we're going to sing, and uh, I'm just going to trust that God's Spirit is doing something in each and every one of us this morning. So this is how the Apostle Paul ends his letter to the church in Corinth, his second letter to the church in, in Corinth. He says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship or communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Come Holy Spirit. Amen.